Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, it's good to be back. Um, have you guys been talking about First John? Yeah? No one else knows? Robbie says yes. All right. Yeah, okay, we got a yes. So Robbie was talking about First John. Um, so you guys have been talking about First John. Um, last week, obviously, I was out along with a few other people. We were in Texas. Um, obviously, some unexpected stuff happened there. Uh, the house we were at, they had water up to five feet in their house in a place that had never flooded before in the past 30, 40 years, as far as anybody could remember. Um, these people you saw in the video flooded. Uh, they'd lived there 30 years, never had any kind of water like that. Man, unexpected things happening all the time. I'd say life is filled with uncertainty. Um, when I was 20, I was certain that at 30 I'd have more financial freedom <laughs> um, because I was also certain that kids wouldn't cost as much as they actually do. Uh, and so I was wrong. Um, as, as a kid, I was certain that I, could, that I would be able to parent better than my parents parented me. And I was probably wrong again. Um, as a kid, my preacher sometimes, unlike your preacher, was really boring and I was certain that if I was a preacher, that I could keep everybody awake and engaged. And I was wrong again. And um, not much that I have been certain about has turned out to be exactly I imagined that it would certainly be. And very few things have I been really sure about that have come to pass. I think that reality is really alarming as I think about the rate at which I'm wrong about things that I really think will come to pass I think that becomes really alarming when I start thinking about faith and eternity. And if there's something that I want to be really, really sure about, it's what happens after this life, especially if eternity really is involved. And if there's nothing after this life, and it really is just dirt and bugs, um, I just want to be sure about it. Because it's definitely going to change the way that I do this life, if that's the case. And if there is something, if there is heaven and hell, I want to be pretty certain about that too. And particularly, if there is heaven and hell, I want to be certain that I'm going to the good one. I want to be completely certain about that. And I don't want to blindly hope, and, and I don't want to have blind certainty, sort of like I have had much of my life, and with very limited knowledge, enter into this realm of eternity without really being certain about what's there. This is an area I want some certainty. So you guys have been studying 1 John for the past couple of weeks. You'll notice if you've read some of 1 John and, and maybe Robbie was boring you and you were like, well, I'm just going to read my Bible, okay? And if you started doing some of that, um, you may have noticed that all over he says, you can know. John says all over in this book, he says, you can know that you know him. And he's talking about Jesus, and, and the, way that, the way that John begins this book is first he's talking about Jesus, and, and he doesn't feel the need to, to say, you can know that God is real. It doesn't start there, because John's talking to a group of people that, right, Jesus was just recently among them, and they saw him die, and then without any medical intervention, they saw him rise again, and then they saw him appear to a bunch of people, and if that wasn't enough, then they saw him rise up in the clouds into heaven. And so it didn't seem necessary to convince these people that God was real because they were pretty certain that God on some level was real. And so they didn't need to be convinced. They didn't need to be certain. And, and they didn't need it proven to them that God was real. They were pretty certain about that piece. 
Instead, he addresses how we can be certain that we will be with God. And all throughout 1 John, he's making this case about how you and I can be really sure that we'll be with God. So 1 John chapter 3, we jump in there today. 1 John chapter 3, if you want to flip over there. And for one, can I just say, let's just address the, the elephant in the room, <laughs> um, that, uh, that John and I have a lot, of our, we have a lot in common. Uh, Jesus called John and his brother the sons of thunder. And I often call my brother and I the sons of thunder. So we have a lot in common. Um, really, I don't have that much in common with John. I started laughing long before the corny joke, and I, I feel like I just ruined the punch. But anyway, um, we don't have a lot in common. Uh, John, John said uh, he called himself the one whom Jesus loved, and I love that. I love to approach with such certainty everything about my relationship about Jesus. Um, John pastored faithfully for a lot of years. I hope to do that. He was an older man when, when, this was, when he wrote this letter. He'd been doing it for a long time. John was so certain about his salvation. John was so unafraid to call out false teachers, and he was so, so, such a fearless leader when it came to leading the church. I, I would love to have a lot in common with John. I just love the way that he pastors and that he leads and that he's so certain about his relationship with Jesus. And this chapter, he lay, what he does here is he lays out sort of like this personal test. And he says, here's what you can do. Uh, if, if you want to be certain that you're a follower of Jesus, here's sort of a test you can give yourself. Or if you want to be certain that, that someone else is, and, and we can never be certain about someone else, but, but if you want to be as, as, if you want to know as much as you can know about someone else, here's a little test you could administer. And obviously, if you want to know about yourself, you, you know yourself. And, and so you can do this, and you can be sure. And so here's what he says. Number one, here's, here's the, first, the first thing that he says. We'll actually address the first two here. So, so start with me in verse 9, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. He says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are. So here we go. And who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. That's just pretty deep. So, so let's dig into it uh, before you start to feel like we all need to go get baptized, okay? Um, here's a big secret that uh, my wife d- definitely does not know. Um, I make a lot of mistakes. And uh, I know this is news to you. Um, no, I, I make a lot of mistakes. Just this morning, we were uh, talking about a pretty big mistake that I made. And uh, I'm not going to go into it because there's probably 14 or 15 of them that I could confess to you that happened this past week. But if, you, um, if, 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 if there's something happened and it was dealing with my family and a mistake was made, it was probably my fault. And so just go ahead and blame me. It was almost certainly me. But I make, I make a lot of mistakes. Um, I, uh, I made a mistake a while back. I involved a lot of people before I really realized that what the mistake was. Um, so let me preface this by saying that I don't know much about cars. Um, the other day I was driving my truck and, uh, and a light came on that said abs, right? And I was like, abs, even my truck knows that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling great about my physique. Um, and my little sister told me that it has something to do with my brakes, apparently, um, that may or may not be right. I'm not sure. But anyway, I don't know. Um, but I don't know much about cars. So not long ago, my truck broke down, sort of. 
I was uh, I was driving, and uh, and and all of a sudden I was not driving anymore, and uh, my truck had stopped working. I called John. This was a little while back, and uh, and I said, uh, told him my truck wasn't working. He let me know that you can't really diagnose those kind of things over the phone, and so um, I called AAA, and I was going to get uh, AAA to come come pick me up. Or, or come do something for me, and I'm talking to him, and the guy says, well, put your kid in the ignition and check this, you know, is it, is it running hot, is it still hot, no. And at that point, I realized one really huge problem that's really pretty common. Yeah, I was out of gas. Yeah. I ran out of gas. So um, I'm on the phone with the guy, and I'm like, you know what, I just fixed the problem. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it was the... It was the, and I think I grumbled something to him, and then I just let him go. I ran out of, I missed a class, I called a lot of people, I, I, I didn't call Jess because I didn't want her to make fun of me, so uh, uh, yeah, I just ran out of gas. Um, but hey, I make mistakes, right? I make a lot of mistakes. I like the word mistake because it makes it seem like it really wasn't my fault, you know? Like it wasn't that big of a deal. Let me, let me define to you what a mistake is. A mistake is an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. I make a lot of mistakes like that. Uh, I, I wasn't thinking straight. If I do something wrong, I'd like to say that I made a mistake. It was just a simple mistake that I made. If I don't do something for someone else that I very reasonably could have done, I don't say that I made a mistake, but I just say that I, I'm not perfect. Right? I can't do everything for everybody. I'm not perfect. I only have so many hours in the day. If I sin, I like to say that I made a mistake. A mistake doesn't sound that bad. And what I think we all do is we sort of flee from this word sin. Running out of gas isn't sin. It's just dumb. right? But a lot of things are sin. Cheating on your spouse, that's sin. And some people would do that and they would say, I made a mistake. And there are a whole lot of sins out there that people would say, oh, I just made a mistake. Not serving others when you can, and when it's a need you can meet, and it's right in front of you and choosing not to do it, that's not just you not being perfect. That's sin. And there's a whole lot of things that we give ourselves a whole lot of excuses for, me included, that really are absolutely sin. And so when we jump into verse 9, and we sort of parse out those Greek words, and I, want, I took some of my small group through a lot of Greek study, and, and, and it, was, it was a lot of fun. I'm not going to dig through all that with you. But when we sort of flesh out verse 9, we get a meaning like this. And this is sort of what he's saying. So, so on, the, on the face of it, he says, people that, that are followers of God, they do not sin. And now all of a sudden we feel like none of us can be followers of God because we all sin. When we flesh it out, here's what he really means. He's, he's kind of saying... Those who consistently live in unchecked sin and do not love others, those people are not God followers. That's what he's saying. Those who consistently live in unchecked sin and do not love others, those people are not God followers. Those people are not Christians. Those people are not inheritance of the promise of heaven. However you want to flesh it out, that's what he's saying. Those people are not God followers. He would say, I would say, these are the attitudes of, of some people who consistently live in unchecked sin. So if you say, what does that look like? And what does that mean? This is what I believe that means. If someone who, who consistently lives in unchecked sin, they would have a mindset like this. If no one knows about the bad thing that I do and it doesn't hurt anybody, then it's totally fine. What difference does it make? 
as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, nobody knows about it, it's really not a problem, right? That, that's not a real problem. That would be somebody who lives in unchecked sin. Someone who would say, I don't have any responsibility towards someone in need. I worked hard for everything that I have, and, and, and I don't have an obligation to share it with anyone else. That would be someone who lives in unchecked sin. Um, someone who would say, I don't need forgiveness. Nothing that I've done is really all that bad. And that would be someone who lives in unchecked sin. That's the idea. Um, someone who lives with those attitudes, Scripture would just say, and, and it's, not even a, it's not even a harsh, mean condemnation. It's just saying it is what it is. That's what we're talking about. And John says, is that you? Or is that someone that you know? Right? That's, that's not a Jesus follower. That's really clear. Jesus followers sin, absolutely. But instead of living in this sort of unchecked sin, he says Jesus followers, they seek righteousness. Here's what that means. He says people that seek righteousness, they seek forgiveness when they have sinned. They seek forgiveness from God. They seek forgiveness from others. People that live, that seek to live righteously, they're people that seek forgiveness. People that live righteously are people that seek to to serve others. And they have this sense of obligation and a sense of responsibility for people who are less fortunate. And maybe not in every instance and in every capacity in life, but they're people who seek to serve others. Feel like that's someone that they have a responsibility for. Those are people who live according to righteousness. So that's test one and two. So he says very clearly, here here are some of the things that you can ask yourself. You can say, do I live in unchecked sin? And do I love and serve my brother? Am I somebody who does that? Because if I do those things, then, then I can feel pretty good about whether or not I'm, I'm a Jesus follower. And here's something that's pretty interesting. He says, do you love your brother? Let, let me tell you something very quickly. There's a big question. Sometimes people ask, well, who is my brother? You know, or who is my neighbor? Who's this person that I'm really supposed to love? Because there's some gray area there for me with who I'm supposed to love. Somebody uh, asked Jesus this one time, and Jesus uh, was, was kind of like me, and you ask a question, and you want a quick answer, and then I go into a story, and you're like, I, I didn't want a whole story, I just wanted a quick answer. But um, Jesus starts to tell this really long story, and it's about, uh, it's, a, it's this parable, and this guy says, uh, you know, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and he goes to the whole story, and what he arrives at is, your brother or your neighbor is, is the person that you're called to love. And that person is anyone in need. That's the point of that whole parable. As Jesus says, when Scripture says love your brother and love your neighbor, who's it talking about? It's talking about anyone in need. So when Jesus says, says that, or when John says that, that believers are people that love their brother, what he means is they're people that love anyone in need. Love for your own children is not a good test. Because some people's children are awful, not yours, right? But some people's children are awful. And their parents love them anyway, you know? Their parents, just most of their parents, find a way to love them in spite of their awfulness. Loving your own children is just not a very good test. How do you love people that aren't like you? How do you love people that don't help themselves? That's a pretty good test of whether or not you love your brother. But the third test here, so that's just the first two tests. The third test is really the most clear. So if you knocked out through the whole thing and you've been taking a little nap, now's a good time to wake up because you can get the clearest part, all right? The third test of all, it clears out any faulty notion that's out there. If it's all been a little foggy, he makes it really clear. 
And here's what he does here. He, he takes this, this idea that, that a lot of religions around the world, that this is sort of their bedrock, and this is the thing that, that they're going to tell you that it takes to get to heaven, right? This is, the, this is what makes you a God follower if you do these things. And this is where John dispels a lot of that myth. The idea that a lot of people have out there, and that maybe you've put forth that at one time or another, is that all good people go to heaven. And if you're just good and you're seeking to do some good, then that's probably going to be good enough. And, and the idea is that if you're inherently good, you know, like you don't kill people, you're a fan of puppies, you don't hate Christmas, you don't cheat on your spouse more than once, you know, all, all the things that are like, you make up your list of whatever seems good. And as long as you do those good things, then that's good enough. As long as your good is, is much better than your bad, then that's probably good enough. People say this about themselves. They say it about other people. And, and, it, and I agree. It's hard to wrap your mind around the idea that someone see, who seems good is not going to go to heaven. And someone who seems good, at worst, m- may go to hell. And that seems like, like what God would do that. And what God would take someone who's trying to do some good and say, depart from me, I never knew you. That seems terrible. So, so it's important to, to, to dig into this because that's weighty, right? That may make God evil. So here we go. Here's what John says. He says, if you're righteous, that tells us that you're in. So we've got to figure out what righteous is, right? Because John is saying that, that the, right, the good get in. The good people are the ones that get in. So what is good? Here's what he says. The problem with the righteousness thing is this. Let me tell you how Jesus explains good. And let me tell you how Jesus explains righteousness. So I've got a couple of verses up here. Check these out. Matthew chapter 5, here's, here's how Jesus says, explains righteousness and goodness. He says, You've heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Let me put it another way. Um, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And we tend to say you're good if you don't murder someone. But Jesus said if you've ever hated anybody, then right, you're a murderer. Now all of a sudden you're not that good. How many good people does that wipe off the list? But let's say you got by with that one. Let's say you never hated anyone, so boom, I'm still good. I'm still, I'm still past that, never hated anybody. Look at this next one, Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. I think we'd say, if you commit adultery, especially if you, you just do it all the time, right? You're a pretty bad person. You know, that, that, you're bad. Jesus says, um, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Are you getting the idea? That, that what Jesus says is, now I'm looking way past the way that it flushes out, right, in, in your actions. And, and Jesus looks at the heart. And he says, to be good is to have a perfectly good heart. Now, all of a sudden, none of us look all that good. And we can convince ourselves that we're good, but but I know me and you know you. And man, the the stuff that happens on the inside that maybe doesn't make it all the way out, that's not always really good. That's Jesus' definition of good. Are you starting to see how hard righteousness is? And it makes sense, right? See, God says no one, no one who is not perfectly good can enter my presence. No one who has sinned can enter my presence. And that makes sense, right? Because if, if you went to heaven and you had sin, there's this thing about sin and it's that it's infectious. That means that if, if you went to heaven with sin, we would all get it. 
And now all of a sudden, this place that we're going to live in for eternity would be full of sin. And one of the things I'm most looking forward to about eternity is, one, a new body. I'm excited about that. And two, I'm excited about being in a place with no sin. But if God, if God said, you know, a little bit of sin is not that bad, so I'll let you in, now all of a sudden heaven and eternity ceases to be heaven. And now it ceases to be the perfect place where God resides. To get there, to be in the presence of the Father, we've got to be sinless. We've got to be completely righteous. And, and we need help with that. More than that, I need more than help. I've been trying to lower my cholesterol, and, and Jess is helping me with that. But man, no amount of help makes me want to eat terrible food. And so it doesn't matter how helpful she is, I just can't do it. And when it comes to being perfect, it wouldn't matter how good the helper was. I could not be perfect. I need something. I need someone to do something more than just help me do it. I need someone to do it for me. To completely do it for me. To be good and to be perfect for me. And the good news is, someone has done that for us. That, that's the third test. If you're wondering, what is the third test? The third test that John puts forth is this. Have you accepted what's been done for you? That's the third test. That's how you can know for sure that you are a follower of God. Have you accepted what's been done for you? Look at the bottom of, of this verse. Um, 1 John chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20. And here's what he says. The third test, right? And, and he does a lot of repeating here, but he says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. And then he sort of rambles a little bit and he tells you some extra stuff and then he repeats some stuff for emphasis, but he gets to the first new thing that he said in the chapter. And he says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. And you skip down to where it's, where it's kind of highlighted. And it says, if you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the third test, and that's the most clear one. And other things are good indicators for us, but here's the big one. Have you believed in Jesus? You became a Christian the moment you recognize, I sin, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and Jesus came to be my Savior. And you transfer your confidence from yourself hey, I'm going to do better, I'm going to get better, I'm going to be a better parent, I'm going to be better at all this. And you say, I can't be any better, I can't be perfect, I can't do those things. Jesus, I need you to come do that for me. And you became a Christian the moment at which you said that. And maybe you said, Jesus, I need you to save me from the penalty of sin. I need you, and instead of following sin, I follow you. And for all the good things you may have done, if you haven't done that, Scripture says really clearly to you and and to me and to everyone out there, if you haven't done that, then you're not a God follower. Do you know someone who hasn't said yes to Jesus? Is is something swirling in your mind? Maybe it's you. I would say to tell them or to you the same thing that I tell everyone that I get to have this conversation with that wants to have this conversation. I, I say to them just very clearly... Say yes to Jesus. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, say yes to Jesus. Because not only is it the best decision that you'll ever make, it's the only decision that you'll ever make that has weight for eternity. And for all the hard parenting decisions you make, or for all the hard career decisions that you make, this is the only one that has weight forever. And the sooner you say yes to Jesus... The sooner you experience his forgiveness, the sooner you enter into a personal relationship with him. Let me pray.
God, I praise you for certain.